Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Has the recent loss of a loved one hit you hard? Do you find yourself wishing they were still around without resorting to a Stephen King novel? Well, let us here at Born Again Taxidermy help you out. The industry leaders in human taxidermy, we offer a wide variety of poses to give your dearly departed the most lifelike appearances possible. Choose from styles such as the Rapture, Penance and Sinner, Chastisement, Walker's Wind, and many, many more. No one can bring your loved ones back to life, but with Born Again Taxidermy, you'll swear they're right there with you. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long. Fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of The Platinum Sombrero, Dylan Short, Adam Doc Herbert, and today we are joined by the man with maybe the best Twitter handle in the universe. He is with Razball. He's got a few podcasts running around, works with fan tracks. If you're not following him, I think you're crazy, but most of you who listen to our show probably are already. It is Ralph Lifshitz. Ralph, thanks for joining us, buddy. What's going on? No problem, man. Yeah, you know, just just hanging out here was uh, putting my kids to bed as we talked about. I got I got three little ones, so it's about bedtime. But I snuck in about three innings of the of the Charlotte uh, Louisville game and Michael Kopech's pitching. So I got a little, little bit of uh, looks at Michael Kopech. If you guys don't know who that is, one of the top prospects uh, in the White Sox system. You know, right-handed pitcher that throws like a million miles an hour. But yeah, you know, just always living that baseball life. I, I try to watch as much as I can between day job kids all that sort of stuff but do a lot of writing you can follow me on twitter as you mentioned that uh at prospect jesus it was actually ralph lifshitz bb for like four years and then i changed it to prospect jesus and i think my my twitter followers went up like uh, like four thousand from like a hundred so I mean, it has to it was a it was a good move yeah it was a good move on my part but yeah i've been doing uh, prospect writing over on rasball for a long time i actually do a i did a, a cape league series because i'm in massachusetts so I sneak out to the Cape League, get some uh, looks at uh, you know, some of the, the 2019 and 2020 draftees potentially out of the college ranks. So that was a lot of fun writing that up. And I uh, got a couple of podcasts, the Prospect Podcast with Lance 
Brozdowski. If you don't follow Lance, you should. At Lance Brozdow, B-R-O-Z-D-O. Uh, he's the man. He, he's he's great. So uh, we like to break down a lot of mechanics. We, we talk about um, just the minor leagues in general. You usually do an overview every show. And then I do the uh, Rasball podcast, which is more redraft, fantasy-focused, uh, MLB. And that's with Gray Albright from from Rasball, you know, well-known writer. Uh, I guess uh, in some ways he's my mentor in uh, this, this wacky uh, blogging uh, adventure that I've been on for the last few years. But, yeah, glad to be on the show. What's going on? <laughs> Just yeah, to- I've got to be honest. Uh, when when you bring on a guy named Prospect Jesus, you got to bring your A game. So I'm um, so I'm really trying to make sure that I don't say anything that makes me look foolish here. Uh, I think this that is that probably a pretty, won't uh, happen. I'm sure I'll look more foolish than you. I have I have everything to lose. As, as Jay Z once said, uh, "If I shoot you, I'm brainless. If you shoot me, you're famous." And uh, I'm not going to say the rest of the line. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, we're bringing Prospect Jesus on the Platinum Sombrero, which not to toot our own horn, I think we kind of nailed the name there. I yeah, don't think anybody totally else has did. ever had it. And uh, I'm not going to lie. It took some work. Doc and I probably went through a list of probably 50, 50 something potential names before we settled on the perfect, the perfect name. Huh. You know, it's to the point now. Whenever anybody gets a uh, gets a platinum sombrero, we got people tweeting at us, and uh, I think there's there's been a couple in the past week. So, uh, so thanks to everybody that that let us know about uh, Suarez and Riley. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> Suarez cost me a. Unfortunately, worked, Chris Davis. Thanks, thanks for keeping the podcast. <laughs> he got a horn. We're all, huh? We're always on Chris Davis watch. So Chris Ooh. Davis got a horn a couple years back. <laughs> That's unreal. Now, obviously, when we have Ralph on, we're going to break down into the prospects because with the Braves being as talented as they are prospect-wise, Ralph has seen a ton of them. But first things first, you know we have to talk about this right out of the gate, and that is the – I don't know how I want to call this. We can call it Urena Gate or just the dumbest decision a pitcher's made this year. Um, There is – what first off for those of you that are are crazy and haven't really got into it uh Urena drills Ronald Acuña uh in first pitch of Tuesday night's game we're recording this on a Wednesday you're hearing we're recording it on the Friday Thursday I'm dumb uh so it happened last night on Wednesday <laughs> What day is it Right but once you're old it just kind of bleeds together so we're recording on Thursday instead of Wednesday this week you're hearing it on Friday so 2 days ago Urena drills Ronald Acuña uh, and I've heard some people say, why didn't you just spin and take it in the back? Why didn't you jump all the way out of the way? Well, when it's 97 and it's above the belly button, there's not really much you can do on a pitch ride in like that. Uh, you're either going to wear it in the short rib or you're going to wear it in the arm, and both of those are really bad places to take a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. The big story, of course, was the blatant obviousness of the, of the hit. First pitch of the game, a catcher set up outside, low and outside, and you throw a four-seamer directly into the rib area of a batter, of a guy that, oh, just so happens to have torched you to the tune of three leadoff home runs. Um, but, I mean, have you seen that happen in a while where a pitcher just blatantly goes after somebody, not for showing him up or hot-dogging, which are still part of the old unwritten rules, but just for being better and for him basically saying, you're not going to make history off me? Uh, yeah, you know, I have to be honest, and I don't think I've ever seen it in a situation where there was potential history on the line. 
you know, like, I, I, like, and we've lived through some historic, I'm, I'm 36, I've lived through some historic um, moments in terms of, especially like home run achievements, obviously they were steroid f- fueled, but like, I don't remember like people really throwing at McGuire. I don't remember people throwing at Sosa or Griffey like this. Um, I went all the way back and I just wanted to look at it because what's the ultimate like home run stunt season, right? Like all time is 1927 Babe Ruth. He had 60 home runs in some ways when you look at the number of games he played and then just the difference between him and everybody else in terms of home run numbers. I mean, it was it was astronomical. So if, if this was an old unwritten rule and Babe Ruth was a guy that revolutionized the game, particularly in the way of the home run, okay? How many times do you think he got hit in 1927? Don't look it up. How many times do you think he got hit in 1927? I'm going to guess 17. Zero. What? He was hit zero times. Zero. So old school. No, it's it's 90s and, and 2000s Red Sox, Yankees, like chirping, Pedro Martinez. And I'm a Red Sox fan. Pedro Martinez, like boastful, fake, tough guy, throwing like, you know, 95 at somebody. Like that's that's kind of what it is to me. Like, I, I don't see it as anything more than that. This team, and, and the other thing is there was nothing on the line for the Marlins. Like, there was there was nothing on the line whatsoever. They weren't rallying the team in the middle of, like, a deep playoff race where, like, no one believed in us. And, like, it, then it would still be egregious, but it would I, at least I could understand it from, like, a team mentality standpoint. This just made you guys look like a bunch of chicken shits. Like, it was just – that was ex- that was exactly what it made – the Marlins and Urena and and whoever uh, you know was behind the decision, whether it was Mattingly or not. You know, I don't I don't really know. I know he kind of ducked the, the com- you know any comments afterward. But yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where like I, I just uh, I have like just little little to no sympathy for anybody that tries to argue the own the old unwritten rule thing or whatever it is or Acuna should have dropped. You know. Or, or moved out of the way. Like, dude, it was 97 miles per hour <laughs> at the middle of, like, his back. Like, that w- that wasn't a pitch that got away from him. You know, it, he hasn't thrown that hard at, the, like, the beginning of a game uh, the entire season. It, you know, they pulled those numbers up. And he's barely, I mean, it was, like, the 99th percentile of fastballs that he throws. So, like, what's what's up? Like, you're, you're going out there and you're trying to throw your nastiest stuff and put this guy in his back. Or injure the guy. I mean, it was it was the kind of play where you're going to injure him. Like if they if he, you know if he threw a plunker off his, off his butt at 94, like it, you know, I think it would be dirty. That's but, what I'm saying. Like, we could deal with it. Like it, it was saying. the placement of the pitch and and sort of like the, the demonstrative actions afterward. Like you look at the totality of it to me, the historic element of it, the, where the pitch was located, the way that it was thrown, and then the way that that he acted afterward. You know, if it was one that got away from you, I was a pitcher, you know, coming up. I only, I mean, I played varsity baseball in high school. I a big deal, right? But, like, there were times where, like, yeah, you've tried to pitch somebody inside, and if you, like, caught somebody, like, whatever. Like, you, you know, take your base, dude. But, like, there were other times where, like, you know, you lost a pitch. You felt bad. Like, you know, I, I can remember one time, you know, I lost a fastball up and in on somebody, and, like, you know, it, it almost hit the guy's face. Like, I felt awful. <laughs> I did Maybe hit somebody that was in the why face. I wasn't a, a professional pitcher, but, like, I just I, – I I think the whole mentality of it is just flawed, especially in, in this day and age where the game is moving. Like, we want to bring in more fans. This doesn't bring in anybody. This isn't, you know, uh, it, it, similar to stuff that happens in football. You know, if, if you hit a guy – like, there's certain hits in football. There's certain plays in football 
that are, are always considered dirty. There's certain things in hockey. You don't go after the top, you know, you don't go after the top guy on a team and try to like kill him and take him out of the game. That's always considered bad form. You know, if there's stuff that you're trying to rally up a team, goons go at it. That's like unwritten rule stuff. I mean, just across sports. I just, if Acuna went in the day before and took out, you know, the shortstop with a dirty slide and they threw at him, I wouldn't have much of an issue with it. I don't. I don't have an issue with that sort of thing. But this is this is literally throwing at somebody because like your feelings were hurt because they were better than you. So get them out, dude. Get them out. You know, come on. Like, what are we trying to? What are we trying to teach? I, I. I don't. I don't understand how Hernandez and some of these other guys were were defending these actions as if like it happened all the time when they were playing. That's like fake nostalgia. Just like you know, old men trying trying to sound tougher than younger kids and. The people before us did that, and the people before them did the same thing. You know, it's just generational. When you're old and you're you start to grasp at straws, I feel it sometimes too. I mean, they <laughs> they pull up Bob Gibson, but Gibson didn't like Gibson didn't do that nearly as often as people think. People have been pulling the numbers on that too, and that's kind of one of those fake arguments where because there's that iconic clip of Gibby drilling somebody and then getting ready to throw down, they think that he did it all the time. Now, I, I know mm-hmm. what I know what you're talking about with a pitch getting away from you. Uh, I also, I once actually did hit somebody in the face uh, with <laughs> a curve that uh, did not drop and uh, cracked somebody right in the orbital bone, broke that, and that one... Uh, you can tell, though, when a pitcher lets one get away. It, in their body language, you can tell. When yeah. you toss the glove down right away and you're staring him down, that is not, that is not. Uh, oh, my bad. Or when JT Rio Muto throws his head back and rolls his eyes and uh, pulls a Buster Posey and stands there <laughs> while everyone is clearing, then you know, hey, this dude just went rogue and didn't want to give up history because Urania gives up a ton of homers. And he just didn't want to risk being that guy that's in the history book for the wrong reason. And it's just, it's it's just weak, man. And like you said, if you're gonna hit him, I don't agree with hitting him. But if you're gonna hit him and you want to send a message, quote unquote, to the rookie, then you hit him in the back with a softer fastball, 93, 92, something like that, or you hit him in the butt, something that's gonna hurt, but it's not gonna do any lasting damage. Well, and he is, he has a history of doing this as well. Eli Sussman over at Fish Stripes wrote it, wrote an article. You know, this is a Marlin specific site, and he cited a number of different times since last July, uh, where he was uh, he almost hit Puig. Uh, he came way he hit uh, Chris Bryant came way inside of Reese Hoskins. So he's not just like it's not like he's throwing at Ryan Flaherty. You know what I mean? He's going he's headhunting for some of the bigger guys. So he is. If this was just he accidentally or accidentally nothing, if, if he hit Acuna, then it's like you can say, OK, well, you know, what are his motivations here? But because he's got the, the continued of offenses and in such a short time, too, it says a lot more about him as a player. And not to mention this whole run that Acuna has been on has generated a lot of national attention. Last night was the most watched Braves game at the start of a game since 2013 when they last won the division. So everybody is watching. It's not wow. just Braves. It's not just Braves fans. It's not just people. I mean, this is a national audience. And the first pitch of the game, this is the stage that you're on. And you take that to just make yourself look like a punk in front of everybody. Like, it's- when... 
the Braves play the Marlins from now on, if it ever lines up with him, the next time he comes back to Atlanta, I mean, it's going to be like Josh Hader getting booed when he went to, went out to San Francisco. I mean, this smacks, this smacks of uh, of Cole Hamels drilling Bryce Harper just to, to kind of show, hey, I know you're the name. Guess what? Get ready for the big leagues. That's that's all this smacks of. And Cole Hamels is a, a, a pretty is a great baseball player. He's a great clubhouse guy. Nobody has a bad word, but that was a punk move by Hamels, and that was a punk move by Urena. And I guess I don't know if I'm shocked that nothing happened last night, but I can pretty much guarantee what needs to happen in the Marlins series. And I'm sorry, JT Real Muto. Uh, I know you were not involved in the play. He was not in the line of fire, but unfortunately, your teammates just got you drilled. Uh, you got to go and you got to hit Real Muto. And if it's me, I'm going to hit him. I'm going to point right to the dugout and say, thank your teammate for it. Somebody's going to get tossed, so you know you're going to have to deal with that. Throw it, use a pitcher that's not a normal starter. Have a phantom DL stint. Call up Gohara, let him hit him. But that's one of those things that now the Braves are in a really weird spot because you don't want anybody to get suspended because you're in a playoff chase, and the Phillies are for whatever reason getting annihilated by the Mets, unbelievably. <laughs> um, but. You also can't let other teams think that they can punk you like that. And the Braves, historically, at least through my years, born in 91, so through through the runs all the way up through there, up up to now, traditionally the Braves don't really engage in this beanball stuff. They've, they've got this kind of softy type of, of reputation about them for, for not going back after guys. And while Brian Snicker being one of the first out of the dugout was incredible uh, and really elevated him in the eyes of some of his biggest detractors, you, you got to answer it. And you, it's it's more Urania has to be punished and has to deal with that crap in the locker room afterwards, but you can't just let it go. See, I don't, I don't know. That's where it gets into tricky territory, too, because if if you're looking at it from the standpoint where one one wrong does not uh, you know, two wrongs don't make a right and and you you kind of can't just let something like this linger on you know even if at least not this year like right the second we're in a pennant race next may urania comes to sundress park you want you want to drill him in the ribs i mean throw it at real muto sure it's unfortunate for him because he obviously didn't really have anything to do with it urania was was the enemy here but if you want to hit him next year when there's there's time to recover from these things I don't think now is the time and it's more noble to just go out and, you know, have a community had a 500 foot home run off the monstrosity in left field. than then go head hunting for this, this time of year. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the, the inner pacifist. Nah, bunk that hit them. Let EY, let him loose, let him charge after whoever he wants. Let Freddie Freeman turn from a lovable Hulk into an actual Hulk and let Nick Marcakis go beat some old guys down. <laughs> honestly uh, i i think you're right though like the the best way to like stun on him is is acuna just like next year goes yard and he goes yard and he just like pimps it tosses the bat like joey bats and just like ice grills and just like stares right into his soul as he walks the first base and it just you know just runs his mouth you know what i mean you can't beat me but <laughs> you know just yell that like because that's the kind of stuff that's the stuff that sticks with people for the rest of their lives. Like when you get when you get embarrassed like that, especially at work and you're a professional and, and you're some sort of a fake tough guy like Jose Arena, you know, obviously is like, I think that's that's the answer. That's how you get them back. You keep winning. You know, you just keep winning. Like, don't worry about 
you know, if, if you want to fly with, you want to soar with the eagles, man, you don't, you don't want to swim with the ducks. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things. Just stay out of the pond, stay in the air, man. You guys are, you guys are headed to big things. The Braves are 15 to one odds the other day. Guys that I work with are a bunch of young kids and they're like gambling addicts. And they're talking baseball. They ask me baseball questions. And every time they ask me baseball question, it turns out to be wrong in terms of what their bets are. But anyway, that's another <laughs> conversation for another day. But either way, like they're 15 to one odds right now. I so badly want to put like a thousand dollars down on the Braves to win the World Series because, like, you guys have reinforcements. Like, there's, there's, there's like literal, like there are legitimate arms and players in in AAA that could contribute to this team if they if need be. Like, it, it's it's nuts the amount of depth they have, especially with arms. There's like two three waves of arms still coming up. You know, I think that's a perfect transition uh, as we get off the anger, the anger inducing, rage fueled edition of what happened on Wednesday night. Let's transition to something that was incredible, and that was Tuki Toussaint's debut. Uh, and to people that didn't had that had not seen Tuki pitch before, they would have seen that start and thought, wow, that was incredible. The scarier version of that is Tuki did not have his best stuff. Like he didn't have his command that day. Like you could tell yeah. he told you he was nervous. You could tell he was nervous. He was missing arm side on everything. The scary part of that is he was that dominant and I would estimate that that was probably one of the worst outings he's had in the last month as far as his command goes. When he is yeah. actually dialed in, these guys, like, he, he is going to be a perennial 8-10 to 10 strikeout guy. Like, that, you can just dial it in. That's going to be Tuki Toussaint. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with him in September. Uh, I think he gets at least one more start this season. But he is a guy that has passed bullpen experience and dominant bullpen experience. Uh, he's already blown by his innings, I believe, as far as the innings that he's pitched in a, in a minor league season. So they might be a little bit more careful. But you're talking about waves like that, and you're talking about you still got Max Freed. You got – I personally don't think Soroka is going to come back this year, but potentially Soroka, uh, Colby Allard, even though he's he didn't have a strong two outings, uh, he's still a, a well-polished prospect. Uh, you've got – Luis Gohara, who's kind of struggled with some shoulder stuff, but we've all seen what he can do as well. Bryce Wilson, we got to give Bryce Wilson some love for just setting a Gwinnett Stripers record uh, with 13 punch outs through eight innings last night and a 90, hit. 99 <laughs> game hit. score. A 99 score. That is unreal for a guy that is 20 years old and for a guy that out of this whole wave of Braves pitchers was the afterthought. And I have to kind of own this and eat some crow. I have been saying for years that Bryce Wilson is a reliever, that he did not have the stuff to get big leaguers out because he did he was too reliant on being over the plate. Well, never let it be said that I'm afraid to say that I'm wrong. Uh, it looks highly likely that I was way wrong on Bryce Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think one of the things, though, with Bryce Wilson, and, and this is one of the lessons that I think people need to learn with prospects, because it's different, especially pitching prospects, and it's it's very different than other sports, where the amount of work you put in and your ability to adapt and um, improve through that, you know, by f- finding out what your flaws are, what your weaknesses are, and then, you know, making adjustments to prepare for that and then be able to, you know, actually improve. And that's what happened with Bryce Wilson. So Wilson was heavily a two-pitch guy. Now, 
little background on him. This is a kid that was an absolute like stud athlete. I believe North Carolina is is where he where he came from, and uh, like he was a, a a legit like I think he was like maybe like a three star, not like a four or five star. It wasn't like a Taylor Trammell sort of football prospect, but he was like a legitimate like uh, uh, receiving like running back, you know, on on the Division One scene. So like this is a really athletic kid. And I think you see that when he throws, um, his movements are, are really, really clean. He repeats pretty well, but he was a heavy two seam guy. And that's pretty much the only thing that, that, you know, he lived off that pitch. I don't know specifically what the data was, but if you look back at some of the starts you watched last year and early this year, it's probably like 70% fastballs. It was like early Vince Velasquez type of approach, you know? Um, now he's got, he's got some decent secondaries as well. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you guys have, have watched, you know, uh, a ton of Wilson, but the big thing that happened, and I'm sure you know this too, and probably talked about it in previous episodes. He transitioned to a four seamer in early July. I think he probably was tinkering with it. Like when he first got called up to double A, they said, we want you to throw the four seamer in lieu of the two seamer. And he took off. The numbers were, you know, tremendous after struggling a little bit. But I think that right there is a great example of a player that, number one, listens to coaching, takes that advice and that, you know, lesson, and then finds a way to sort of adapt and mold it, turn it into his own thing, and then be able to apply that to an actual game plan because there's so much of pitching and development in terms of pitching of you're going to throw this pitch a lot today. We want you to work in your secondaries. We want you to really work in your fastball command or like whatever it is. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with a lot of these guys that we don't necessarily talk about, but he just, he took that and just ran with it. And then, you know, obviously it, it sort of culminated some way, uh, somewhat in the start last night, uh, on Wednesday, obviously, as you mentioned, we're recording this on Thursday, where he struck out 13, he had one hit and no walks. He had one, one base runner. It's like, it, it was an unbelievable start. Probably the best start of the year in the minor leagues. One of them, you know, especially when you consider the level, how young he is. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's green arrow way up. And you know, I, I write from a fantasy angle a lot, and that's really where a lot a lot of the, the prospect hype comes from is people in dynasty leagues. That's who reads a lot of this stuff. I don't care if it's me or Eric Longenhagen or whoever else, Baseball America. It's mostly at least 70%, if not more, fantasy-driven. And I think Bryce Wilson might be potentially the best fantasy starter of this crop of, of Braves. That you know he may have the most strikeout stuff and, and quick to the majors and just be able to adapt and learn things and change. And, and, and I think... That's something that shows me this guy's ready for the big leagues. It wouldn't shock me if he gets some innings, uh, you know, on the big league level. I, I don't. I never thought I would say this coming into the year, but he's pushing. And, and man, if they want, they could just bring. They have a good bullpen, but they could bring up some of these guys, uh, you know, for spot starts and and for some extra innings and and see, you know, almost like competition. You know, who should really be on the playoff roster? And there's some things they can do with the 40 man to get these guys on it. Oof, I don't know, man. It, this Braves team—it's—they have like all these pitching reinforcements. It's—it's it's silly, but I, I like Bryce Wilson a lot. When when he started in Rome last year, the parallels between his 2017 and Mike Soroka's 2016—it was eerie, you know. And Soroka yeah. was so advanced; he's got such advanced pitchability. And you start looking at what Wilson's doing, and this is a guy that was that was projected to be a reliever coming out of high school when he got drafted. And then he showed up at Florida this year and made five starts. He had a sub, it was, his area was 
or something like that. He got bumped up to Mississippi and made 10, 15 starts. And now he's in Gwinnett. He's being, everybody talked so much about how aggressive they were with Soroka. Well, they're being more aggressive with Wilson. I know it's, it's a different regime now, but I never would have guessed that, that he would, that he would be in the position that he is, that he is right now. And that triple A rotation where you've got Wilson and Wright and Gahara and Freed's going to wind up making a, a rehab start this weekend. I mean, that's better than as better than what the Royals have at the big league level and, and probably a couple of other teams at the big league level as well. Yeah, it's it's insane. <laughs> now, let's let's talk about one. You talk about a guy who didn't have a lot of of oomph behind his name when he was drafted. Let's transition to one that did. Uh, and that's Kyle Wright, who lost in the fact that Bryce Wilson just struck out 13 in eight innings and gave up one runner. Um, Kyle Wright has been fantastic in AAA. He's looked better in AAA than he did for the vast majority of his AA starts. Uh, a buddy of mine does the replay in Gwinnett, and every time Wright's on the mound, he's t- he's constantly tweet- uh, texting me, uh, talking about, man, have you seen his curveball? Oh, man, I think he just ditched the curveball and went with a slider mid-pitch or mid-at-bat. Uh Kyle Wright is one of these dudes that everybody came in. Normally, when you get a college guy, you think that they are more polish over upside. Kyle Wright is that kind of rare guy that while there's a very high floor to him, there are a lot of people, myself included, that think that there's a lot of helium for his ceiling. His ceiling is a is a very, very high-end ceiling. When you compare that with a Bryce Wilson, though, which one of those two is more impressive to you? At this point, I mean, it's got to be Wilson. I mean, even with the struggles Wilson's had, I mean, he's just always pushed. It's all he's done since he's coming to pro ball, and he's just exceeding expectations. And, I mean, what is he, two years younger than Kyle Wright? He's 20. You know? Yeah. You know, he's 20, and and, and Wright is, what, uh, 23 in October, 22, 23? Yeah, so, yeah, a couple of years. You know, I I mean, uh, to me, it's just it's so hard for me not to take – Wilson, I I like Kyle Wright. I think Kyle Wright is going to be an awesome starter. But I see him, um, you know, as a two three. Like I, I know there's that ace upside there if like everything clicks. I, he really he also had some really funky splits. I mean, like he, I know you guys know, but he's he struggled at home in Mississippi. I mean, his his ERA was legitimately more than three runs different between his home and away starts there in an equal number of innings it was about uh, had the numbers here 54 innings at home he had a 5.33 era and 55 innings in the road he had a 2.11 era so you know what's going on there whip obviously follows in suit the the batting average against was 100 points different you know a sub 200 uh, batting average against on the road to a, a near 300 299 batting average at home so you know there was obviously something funky going on there when you look at the repertoire he has the fastball he can you know he's got feel for the fastball so sometimes he can throw in the lower 90s 92 93 94 if he wants to he can ramp that thing up to 98 he's got good you know late life on it um he's got really good angle he's a bigger guy six four you know good body um you know pitched obviously big games in college but at this point we know he can pitch professionally too i like the curveball more than the slider, but the slider is pretty good. Um, and he's got feel for a change. I mean, he's got four legitimate pitches. So he's going to be a really interesting guy, I think, once he gets to the major leagues. 
and you know there are specific game plans and he's working with a specific catcher and there's all that sort of consistency that i think they can really get the best out of them um facilities too i mean let's let's not forget that the facilities between triple a or double a triple a and then the majors is such a, a massive jump in terms of what's available to you um yeah i i I think Wright can make a huge jump too. I don't want to call any of these guys just like a, a mid-tier starter because I don't think we really know that until they get there, right? There's so many guys we think are going to be these fabulous MLB starters and they're junk or they're just kind of mid-rotation guys and they have their flaws where there's seven or eight guys that are just legitimate big leaguers and they have the upside to be something really, really special or just good everyday ball players. But I think, I think you have at least, you know, eight starters that probably are going to be rotation guys at some point in the major leagues, whether it's in Atlanta or someplace else. I think with Wright too, he, when he came out of, came out of Vanderbilt, his, his junior season was, he struggled a lot leading up to the draft. Uh, Sure. Yeah. And it was about May before he finally turns it on. And then, and then he was just kind of nails down the stretch. And then once he got drafted, they were really aggressive with him jumping from the sec into double a i mean that's not just once that's a really really big step even if the sec is the highest level of competition uh for college but then go not only the aggressive placement but also moving from the seven day program to the five and also being somebody that takes a while to heat up it kind of makes sense that they that they gave him the aggressive promotion to triple a once he started to turn it on because his his june and july were way better than his april and may this year too so I know that there were some people that that are in Braves country that were really concerned about, you know, why isn't he immediately just coming out and dominating? It was kind of a perfect storm of things that were kind of holding him back. But I think for now, I I think he's full speed ahead. And when does minor league season end? Two, three weeks from now? I mean, yeah, mid mid September. You know, let's say the fifteenth is usually the end. Fifteenth to like the eighteenth, somewhere in that window. Yeah. So. I don't know. They, they didn't call up Acuna at the end of last year, um, but maybe maybe they could with Wright. Maybe they could with Wilson. I mean, you, you see guys that are already on the forty, uh, like Freed, like like Gahara. Um But you never know. You never know. And so these are some guys that could be too young to even really get intimidated and even really know that they're not supposed to perform at the high level of what like what you see with Acuna and all these. Yeah, and I think there's just no expectations. They're excited. You know, it. it, it add some energy and and the other thing with with service time and stuff like that like they're not going to be on the roster for enough days for you know them to lose rookie eligibility and they're also uh not going to pitch enough innings to exceed their their rookie limits i mean unless they're throwing like nine innings every three days but as far as i know it's not 1925 so um we should be (laughs) we should be all good here i mean i think I think that's what's fun. It's like the same thing with like Jesus Lazardo over in Oakland. They could pull, pull, they could pluck this kid out of AAA, plug him into the rotation. He might be their ace right now. Uh, there's several major league teams that have some of their best players in, in AAA. It's it's kind of amusing. It's just kind of insane how talented a lot of these guys are and how how ready they are at 19 and 20 years old. Oh. And a lot of these, a lot of the old heads, as we like to call them. A lot of they catch a lot of grief because they they tend to talk about oh he's just a youngin and a young buck and all yeah. that. I kind of I know where they're coming from though because that this is these players today with the amount of information and video that is so easily accessible. These guys are are at a totally different level as far as training regimens at 
14 and 15 as opposed to 23 oh, yeah. and 24. These guys are coming in to the minor leagues with a a AAA or a major league body already and they're still growing into it. Are they at least they have a a better a better understanding of fundamentals at 19 than some of these players from yesteryear did at 24 years old. It's it's just ridiculous, and we see it with Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies and my personal favorite, Johan Camargo. Um, but look at Juan Soto, and I know I shouldn't be giving a Nationals player love, but the things that Juan Soto is able to do at 19 as far as his pitch recognition, that is something that would just ha- that would have been unheard of even just 10 years ago for yeah. for a guy at 19 to understand the strike zone in that advanced of a fashion is something that you didn't see from most major leaguers you only saw it from the best major leaguers we're talking about trout level pitch recognition right now from a kid that's 19 yeah and he's not the only one i mean like i've i've personally had the the pleasure of watching um vladimir guerrero jr this year because i live about 50 minutes away from uh, the park up in, in Manchester, New Hampshire. So I've caught a ton of games up there and, and seen a lot of, a lot of great players um, between there and then Hartford, which is about an hour and 10 minutes from me. So I had to either stadium to catch them. I mean, there were games where Lance, my co-host and I, when he was still living out here before he moved out to Chicago, um, were taken in games. And it was, you know, 32 degrees and there's Vladimir Guerrero jr. Just roping doubles, hanging out like totally loose. I mean, there's, once people get to watch him every day, everyone's going to fall in love with this kid. Like, he's just so much fun. He loves the game. There's a ton of energy around him. And then you watch him at bat. And it, it's amazing how short to the ball he is, how much power he has, how quickly he recognizes spin and is able to then make a decision on how he's going to swing at that pitch and where he's going to put it. You know, like there's just things that he does hitting baseballs that I've never seen anybody do. And I've seen, I saw Ronald Acuna four times this year. I saw him in, in the flesh, right up, right up close sitting. I could have spit on him um, three days in a row in Pawtucket. And then once I actually was at the game where he hurt his knee and anyway, it was not it was as good brutal. there. Not as good that time. I almost, I almost cried. I almost cried when that happened. Everyone blamed me too. They said it was the Ralph curse. It, it, it hurt, man. <laughs> it hurt. But anyway, um, but besides that, like he, He's a lot better than Acuna, like in terms of his pitch recognition, his swing. Oh my God! Like you can't imagine how good he is. I've only seen Juan Soto once, and it was like over a year ago, and it, it, like different, different circumstances. So I, I can't compare the two. And, and from what I've watched, it seems like it's the same sort of thing. He got called up three days before the series in Hartford. I was going to be able to catch Harrisburg, so. I ended up missing some looks when I really would have been able to get a, a good comparison, but uh, I wasn't able to. I saw Eloy Jimenez for a few, t- a few times for a few That's games my a few guy. weeks ago. And, and Eloy is very, very good. Um, but he's different. He's different than Vlad is. Like, Vlad is very loose. And the other thing about Vlad, and I, I compared it to a pickup basketball game because I think that when we watch guys play sports, it's very different on TV than it is in person. And the impressions that we, we get, especially these guys that, you know, might've played sports at some point, or just have a, a basic level of, of athletic and athleticism. Eloy Jimenez is like the stiff guy that can rebound. Everyone's face off. No one can knock him down. He's the strongest dude you've ever seen. You throw him, you know, he's like Shaq. You throw him, you throw him the ball into the basket. He throws down, you know, um, but he's kind of like flat-footed, 
He's a poor outfielder. And everyone knocks Vlad for his defense. Vlad is like the chubby dude that you kind of like, is kind of like unassuming, like whatever, you know, I'll cover this guy. And all of a sudden he's got the quickest first step in the game and he's dropping diaper shots on you in the lane as he's blowing by you and breaking your ankles. Like that's what Vlad is. Like he moves a lot better than people give him credit for. He's got an absolute howitzer at third. I mean, oh my God. I mean, he's, he's got a gun. He, he has one of the best arms I've seen in the minors. He's a significant better third baseman than Miguel Andujar is. And I saw Andujar a ton last year. And he was a poor major league third baseman. Of course, they pulled him from position more or less. But, like, Vlad is, is significantly better. I think his range is a little bit limited. But he, but in terms of positioning and depending on who the shortstop is, you can make up for that. Like, I, I think he's going to stick at third for a little bit. I just think that, you know, him and Soto are going to be the conversation um, as opposed to him and Acuna, because I think that he and he and Soto are very similar players, and and Acuna is just such a great all around player. I mean, he has the he's the only guy that has the opportunity to be Mike Trout, you know. Where the other two guys are just more like I, I think Vlad to me reminds me a lot of Manny Ramirez, who I watched a ton living in Boston at the time when Manny was there. You know, going to games for cheap. I didn't have kids, and I could you know do all those things and he's like he, he toys with pitchers man there's just things he does that are a lot like manny without all the crap at least at this point you know um he's a little cocky but he's but he's fun so yeah i know i went on a tangent about vlad but i think that he, where you're going is there are young kids they're far more ready there's tons of guys with good pitch recognition skills that that field well that that run well that do all these things really, really well. And, and right from the jump, they're able to do that stuff. And they, we didn't see that before. Even kids coming out of college, we didn't see them as advanced as they are now. And I think that the measurables and scouting, being able to track how hard somebody hits a ball, what the spin is on a, on a pitch and all that sort of stuff, that's allowed us to make even better evaluations of what these guys are. And it's why I think you're going to see draft picks start to hit a lot more. And we're going to see these guys up to the majors a lot quicker, you know? I'm glad you brought up some comps, by the way, because uh, most of the guys that we have on the show hate comps, and I understand why. Uh, most yeah, of the too, time, but, most yeah. of the time, you look stupid. Um, but I'm not going to say, I don't think, uh, and I've been toying around with this one, and I think I have the perfect comparison for Ronald Acuna. It's not Mike Trout, it's not Andrew. I. Like many others, I made that comparison at first. I don't think he's Andrew because I think Andrew was just on a different level defensively. He's like a bizarro Andrew maybe, but he reminds me of Carlos Beltran, early Carlos Beltran, before the knee. Neither of them spent hardly hardly any time in the minor leagues. When Beltran came up, and people don't really – I guess they don't really realize, Beltran was a five-tool monster until yep. the knee injuries. You're talking about consistently 25 to 30 home runs. Uh, one year he had a 38 homer and a 41 steal season. Uh, uh, OBP off the charts. Just just a massive guy who was a positive defender, a good defender. Yep. I don't know that he was ever great, which when I see Ronald Acuna, he makes some splash plays. Like the home run that he robbed was incredible. But I don't think Acuna is a great Defender, I know I'm probably going to get catch some flack. Not as much as you for saying that Soto and uh, Vlad were better than Acuna. You're going to get killed for that. But I think well, he's I think <laughs> in a different way, just in terms of like the bat and control of the strike zone. Overall player, like I said, I think Acuna is the better overall player. You open I mean, Pandora. If I'm building a team, I, t- I take Acuna. But 
Um, if you want one guy to have like a, a clutch at bat, I think I'd probably take the other two guys over him. You I mean, know, you open Pandora's box, not for him so much. You're, you're already <laughs> well, getting, I mean, it's, it's already happened. It's not every day that you see somebody like Vlad who comes along with a legitimate 80 hit tool. Like I'm, I'm oh, trying to yeah. think of, of who was the last guy with, with an 80 hit tool. I don't know. Um, I don't know that I'd say anybody. 80s. I don't. I don't give out 80s. Yeah, I don't know if Baseball America gave out an 80 on a hit tool to anybody else. So they did, they did give Vlad one. I, I'd give him an 80. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anybody that just controls the strike zone and just has uh, the ability to, like, adjust, like, mid-at-bat, mid-swing and just do what he wants. Uh, um, Maybe Joe Maurer? I mean, just I never saw Joe, Joe Maurer live. So I'm just going off for players that I've seen live. I mean... Probably some of the best. I mean, going back to like the 90s, going to like the Tuck and Red Sox games because I grew up like 15 minutes from the stadium. Um, like Mo Vaughn, Chipper. I saw Chipper coming up. Some of those guys. And like, I don't know. I don't think I had the, the ability to evaluate, obviously, like I do now. I, I wish I hope so. But um, yeah, this guy is so different from everyone else. He just stands up, you know, like a green hat with an orange bill. And it's, it's a great thing for baseball because baseball needs young fans. They need young stars. By the way, I'm feeling almost positive that I, my Eloy Jimenez, uh, Dennis Cespedes comp is going to work out. Uh, I love Eloy Jimenez. There is definitely yeah. some stiffness there. He got bigger this season. As last year, there was still a lot of people that that were curious to see how he could handle because he wasn't he wasn't you know a great defender. But last year, he was still yeah. body type wise, he was still fast enough to or an athletic enough to maintain a corner outfield slot and he had he had a big time arm last year his arms all right he didn't put on great weight this year and i I wonder about that but there's no question offensively he's like i don't know why the white Sox haven't already called him up uh just for the fact to get somebody in the stands him and kopech both i mean that the 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 nature of the game right now is young players, and it's not just those guys. You've got Acuna, you've got Vlad, you've got Bobachet, his teammate. You got Brendan Rodgers, who's ready and raring to go. You got Juan Soto, you got Aloy Jimenez, you got Michael Kopech, blah 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 blah. But yeah. there's a guy in the Brave system that I think will be even better than Ronald Acuna. <gasps> oh no! And uh, I think, and I'm ready to finally say it. I think Christian Pache ends up the better player overall of the two because Pache right now he's got a 70 on his defense I think that that's low I think he's a legitimate 80 grade defender uh he's got an absolute rocket of an arm he's got an Andrew Jones arm and he's accurate uh takes phenomenal routes he really does like when when people make that Andrew Jones to Ronald Acuna comparison I think the Christian Pache to Andrew Jones is a better comparison with one caveat. When we had Brian Bridges on the show and we had Jason Waddell on a couple weeks back, yeah. both of those guys talked about there is not another player in the, in the entire minor league system that takes to coaching and actively seeks it out the same way that Christian Pache does. And this is a guy that when they signed him was thought to be a huge hit tool guy where he's not going to strike out, he's going to make consistent contact. But his swing was was built kind of like Ender Inciarte's, where it was constantly yeah. on the front foot. Uh, he wasn't getting anything behind it. Now he's hitting for power, and you can tell as he's growing into his 6'2 frame that there is legitimate power in that bat. Now, Fangrass hasn't updated it. They've still got him at like a 20 power, uh, which I've got a different bone to pick about that. But but the power is real. The swing adjustment is there. And he's already he's, – he's really, really fast. Pache is a dude that 
he's still kind of he's he's in uh, I think he's in double A now. He's kind of getting yeah. his feet wet right yep. now. He won't have the meteoric rise of Ronald Acuna because I don't because his hitting is not as loud as Ronald's. Ronald could be a piss poor defender and he'd still be in the majors just for his bat alone right now. But sure. when it's all said and done, a guy like Christian Pache and a guy like Ian Anderson, who is a favorite of yours, the the adjustments that they have already made to this point in time and the the astronomical growth rate that they've kind of established. Those two things; those two players might be the two guys in the system that you look at and say, "All right, uh, I don't really have a ceiling for them." Yeah, no, I I agree, and you, you stole the words out of my mouth because you know I'm good friends with Jason, and we talk a ton, and you know he gets a ton of looks down in Florida and, and, and all these kids that I really don't get to see until they're in like AAA. I don't get to see Braves players until they're in AAA. I have no other affiliates, no other way that I could see them. Unless I'm in Florida and I, I go and I, you know, check out some games in the FSL, but I'm usually they're not there, you know, early enough. So yada, 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 whatever. Um, everything that he said about him taking the coaching and, you know, being able to improve and do all these adjustments and you, and you see it. I mean, obviously I get all the tape from, from Jason and all the stuff that he, he sends out, uh, you know, on a Twitter and then stuff that he sends me and, and, you know, conversations we have and, and he is so high on, on Christian Pache. And I, I, I agree. I, I watch a ton of Mississippi games. That's why when you asked, he was in double a, I've been checking him like as much as I can, because number one, Ian Anderson was there. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Muller was there. I watched the Kyle Muller start over the weekend and um, he just sticks out, man. I mean, he's just such an unbelievable defender. Um, good body, super, super athletic. Um, the hands are pretty quick. You can see that you know he's 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 added some weight in the lower half, and he's you know he's getting stronger in that trunk, you know, and that that core being able to drive the ball a lot more. The swing has changed. He's made some adjustments in in that regard. Still waiting for the first double A homer. It's been a couple of weeks. Like I said, I think twelve games. Um, but he's slashing three twenty seven, three fifty three, four hundred eight. And he's one of these guys that because of the kind of speed that he has, and and the ability to, you know, put the bat on the ball. That sort of you know. Hand, you know, hand-eye coordination that is just inherent when you see this kid do anything with it on a baseball field. I think he's a guy who's going to have a really high batting average uh, on balls in play because of the speed, because of the ability to hit the ball, and the fact that you know he takes the coach, he takes to adjustments. Yeah, this guy's going to be a monster. I think that just overall, you know, he could have the the better career where you know Acuna might be, you know sort of one of these guys like a roller coaster peaks and then it drops, you know, when the athletic ability goes a little bit and some of his other flaws maybe are exposed potentially. And, you know, this guy's just so rock solid from a fundamental standpoint all throughout his game. Um, yeah, I, I could see it. I'm still going to put my money on Acuna. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I wouldn't trade him in any of my fantasy leagues. That's for sure. Uh, the the thought of a, a outfield for Atlanta that has both Acuna and Pache in it is just it's amazing to think about. And then you start looking at some of the, the other outfield prospects in the system, guys like Drew Waters, who was thought to be good once he got drafted, but has really taken a major step forward this year. And Grayson Genesta is another one that, yeah. that just recently got drafted. Who uh, I know that that Jason has talked about his uh, he kind of looks awkward with breaking pitches for now, but. There's a there's a lot to like about both of those guys about Waters and Genesa. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all on the Genesta hype train at this point, and uh, I got to see a little bit of him last year when he was out in the Cape Cod League. He was the MVP of the league, actually, and um, he's a he's a really good hitter. I, I thought that was a steal by the Braves. I didn't didn't love what they did in the first round. I know there's some you know some people that re- Jason is really strong. He hates it. I kind of wonder if they push back the comp pick because of some of the international stuff that maybe they could like push back a first round talent a year in terms of backloading and backfilling when those penalties really start to hit. I wonder if that was a strategic move or not because uh, it really didn't make a lot of sense otherwise. But anyway, that's off sort of getting off on a tangent. I love Drew Waters, switch hitter. Um, I know he's he's struggled at, at high A so far, but. I think that kind of could be expected. Uh, it, there's so much going on. You know, it was such a big jump. We really have to think of, you know, a year ago or, or, or so, this guy was playing high school baseball, you know. Um, it's 18 months ago, right? And and now here he is playing in, you know, essentially a couple steps away from the major leagues. And he's in the Florida State League, notoriously tough place to hit. Um, and yeah, he struggled a little bit. I mean, it's like he's hitting 100, but you know, 14 games, he's hitting 246, and you know, he hasn't slugged very well. But yeah, I, I think in the end, he's just such a talented kid. Um, switch hitter, you know, he's not a standout defender, um, but he's he's solid and there's some pop in the bat. So yeah, I think he could be like the the third guy in that outfield for sure. Um, that wouldn't that wouldn't shock me at all. And and if it's uh, Janista, then we'll we'll see what what happens there. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm. Wh- who are, are you guys real high on Waters? I mean, like, what do you foresee sort of as 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 his ceiling? Because I I think he's more of like your six hitter and like your good outfielder. He's not an all star, but you know he hits twenty homers, doesn't kill you in batting average. You know, at times you wish he was a little bit better, um, but just a solid sort of like above average major league player. I'm kind of weird on Waters now. Waters played like 20 minutes away from me at Etowah, so I got to see him a fair bit in high school. Yeah. Um, I I don't think he has a standout tool. Uh, I yeah. think he's good everywhere, but he's not great anywhere. Uh, I think I like his swing from the left side more than I do from yeah. the right. Uh, I think like Ozzie Albies, he's got a lot to learn on one side of this where it's just flip-flop from Ozzie. Ozzie's been much better right-handed than he has been left-handed. Um, but I think Drew's a guy that he can play in the majors. Um, I know everybody jumped on the hype train from his low-A numbers in Rome, and it just shows you that when he gets on a roll, he is a tough guy to defend against. Uh, but you're also talking about low-A guys, which, you know, the defense isn't great. The pitchers are grooving pitches. It's more guys that can throw hard but don't know where it's going. Uh, yep. I I like Drew. I agree. I think he's he's kind of your middle guy. If I had to say something, I've always thought he kind of reminds me of like a Dexter Fowler, maybe with some more power, as a guy who – who you can play anywhere, really. You can play him in center field, and he can manage it. You can play him in right. He's got enough arm to play right field. I think ideally in the outfield with Acuna and Pache, uh, he's left field or right field if you feel like having him have less area to cover. Uh, He's wherever you deem needs the least amount of defense. But, you know, I I think he's – a 15 to 20 homer type of guy. I think he's got more swing and miss in his game than – Definitely than Pache, more than Acuna, oh, yeah. and definitely more than Janista as well. I'm interested to yeah. see how it goes because I think Janista is a quick riser, but I think the ceiling, if Drew Waters puts it all together, 
I think Drew has a higher ceiling. He's just he was so raw coming in last year where even his defense where you could tell he's athletic enough to play defense but he took some horrible horrible routes uh, had some sure. really bad reads and he's cleaned that up this year. I'm don't I don't want to knock the kid. But for me to say that Drew Waters is on the same level as Christian Pache, which I've heard numerous Braves fans and numerous guys that I respect have put him in that same tier of Christian Pache, that I'm not seeing. I think I think a lot of it is is just because I know Lance, my co-host on the, the Prospect Podcast, and I we disagree pretty heavily on Pache's ceiling. He 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 thinks that. You know, he's just going to be a really, really great defender and just like an average hitter. Like he's never going to be Juan Lagarde, much better basically. than average. Where I, I don't think that's the case. And you know, for me with Waters, is it's you know he's a strong side platoon guy right now. I mean, he mashes right-handed pitching and um, he you know, just is below average against lefties. I mean, that's good because at least it's a strong side of the platoon, but. You know, a switch hitter like that, and it doesn't hit one side all that well, and you're like, eh, then it, it it becomes a struggle because it's like, you know, what do you, what do you do? You know, what do you what do you do when a guy's come up as a switch hitter and he's hit lefties? You know, you know, as as a right hander for for so many years, does he go back to hitting left handed? Do you screw with that at all? Can he improve? Is it just going to be you know league average versus a left hander and? then that sort of puts you in a whole different position. Um, and it certainly knocks the profile. So, well, certainly not in Pache's uh, realm, in my opinion. What about you, Doc? You know, it's 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 interesting. I swear, I never hear about one without hearing about the other. It's like there's this, there's kind of a, um, we're even doing it right now, or we're kind of comparing Waters and Pache to each other. But when viewed in a vacuum, I, I mean, I always value balance in a player you know you don't want to lean too much on one tool or the other because if that goes and their value is in the tank so i think waters has a chance to be really really balanced but i i think that that the there's such a small range of outcomes with him for one direction or the other i don't think that uh his ceiling is way it's so much more astronomical than than his floor is as opposed to pache who is probably a really safe bet but if everything hits for him, then, I mean, if we're talking about him being better than Acuna, this is obviously a really, really special player. But I, yeah, I kind of ride on with you guys. I think that he's he's got a long way to go. I, I think that it's kind of strange that he, for as many guys as were ready to jump out of Rome and wind up staying the entire year, that not only him, but also uh, Contreras also getting bumped from Rome up to Florida. It's very kind of out of left field for this development staff to, to do something like that. But if I have to choose one or the other, I'm going to choose Pache, but that is not to discount Waters. How about that? Like it. But as it pertains to to Christian Pache, uh, when you did your top, top 500 fantasy prospects in 2018, Pache was your number two ranked player in, in the Braves system. And the only person that you had ahead of him is Austin Riley. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain about him a little bit. He is having a very interesting run of games right now. Where where do you stand with him? And what made you put him ahead of Soroka and Tukey and everybody? Well, number one, I hate pitchers in fantasy. I've gone on record, and this was a statement. This, this was a massive statement list. And that was, I'm not messing with pitchers any longer. I'm not going to overrank them. The guys that I think are good would be in the top 50 or thereabouts. 
but I'm going to discount it, and I'm going to rank hitters ahead of them because there's just quite honestly a better track record of those guys coming up to the majors and and doing well. And I think the other part of it too is Tukey really took off after the list sort of took came out. That I think that he, he took even more steps. Wright was certainly bad at that point, and it's gotten better. Um, we've seen Wilson take a few steps forward and I'm a big Austin Riley guy. Just, I've, I've always liked what I've seen when I've seen him in person. Um, I think he's done a great job of sort of tightening up the body, tightening up the defense to the point that he's a pretty good defender. Um, the strikeouts can be concerning, but he's curbed those at times. And he was in a really good run after his promotion. Ah, nice. The dog, um, from Florida, uh, Florida State League last year, right through Mississippi, early this year, and then into AAA, and then you know he got injured and and uh, he sort of struggled with the strikeouts, especially since he's come back. So it's a low point for Riley, but for me, he's one of the few good third base prospects that I actually think will stick at third base, and that's kind of rare. Like I, a corner, corner, corner infield prospects right now kind of stink. Like a lot of them kind of stink. It's not a it's not a deep list in my opinion. So um and I know there's Vlad and some of those guys, but yeah, I just I think he's pretty much majorly ready. I, I think there's some stuff with the swing and you know, obviously the pitch recognition to improve a little bit, but I don't know. I mean I'm not I'm not concerned all that much with the numbers that have been um in triple A and especially a late. So I think I think this guy's legitimately gonna hit thirty home runs in the major league level. He's moved really fast and and when he does struggle it seems like he always bounces back from it and uh i think you know 270 hitter in the major leagues with you know 30 homers and can drive in runs be your four or five hitter i just i think he's in play every day on third base and be a pretty damn good third baseman so um i'm a riley guy i mean i think there's some people that really like him he seems to be a divisive player especially in like the braves fans prospect community i I know a lot of those guys friends a lot of those guys and um some don't like him but I do. I think I think he's good. He's putting in a lot of work. I feel like Doc put this entire list of players together just so he could get me to have to go back on a lot of my previous takes. Uh, <laughs> because uh, a year ago, I said that I thought Riley was a huge bust candidate because he had a super long swing, slower hands, uh, and he looked like he looked like Kyle Schwarber to me, where if he makes contact, it's going forever long. Uh, but was more power than he was player. Uh, I've had to completely reevaluate Austin Riley uh, because, as you mentioned, he has done – I think he's probably done the best job as far as mitigating his weaknesses and really working on himself becoming a a, a better athlete. He's tightened up the body. He's gone from being a butcher at third base with one-step range to being a very good defensive third baseman right now. Um, As far as third base prospects, it's really him and Michael Chavis right now who are battling for number two behind Vladdy. I don't. Here's here's the one thing though. I think that Austin – I don't think he's a 270 hitter in the majors. I really don't. Uh, I think he's got too much – streakiness to him to ever hit for a super high average uh i think he's 255 260 which is fine because i do agree he's got 30 homer power because when he makes contact it goes a long long way and he's still refining and that's the other thing like there's still things he can do with his hands and with his his load and all that that can actually increase what he does and make him a little bit quicker on some of those inside fastballs and if he does he's going to put up some massive massive numbers in the middle of the Braves lineups for a long time 
I'm not ready to just throw away Johan Camargo, though, um, because I do think Austin is – I think he is more than athletic enough to play a corner. Uh, and he – the other thing on, on Austin is people sometimes forget, myself included. Uh, he was – most people had him as a pitcher. The Braves were one yeah. of the few that had him as a third baseman. He has a cannon for an arm. It's not Camargo's, but few are. But it is a cannon. We kind of talked last week about being able to extract value out of certain tools, and I was just talking about balance a minute ago. If you give me a guy, even if let's say that he hits 240, but he hits 30 home runs and gives you solid defense out of the corner, I mean, that's a four-win player. That is an absolutely solid player. And whatever happens on the left side of the Braves infield this year with Camargo and Dansby and Riley and, and who knows if they're going to go after Machado or, or, or something, who, who knows? There, there's so many different things that they could come out. There's so many different possible outcomes. But just having too many good players has never really been a problem. They'll, they'll sort <laughs> that out. I'd rather have that you problem know? than the reverse. Yeah, we had that problem for a couple of years. How many games did Adonis Garcia start over at third base? Oof. Yeah, it was ugly, man. It was it was real ugly. You guys were were winning the the division in the AL East with the with the Red Sox, and we were uh, we topped that at seventy two wins over, we, over the past couple years. So. We traded for Eric Ivar. <laughs> yeah, we oh, got that man. guy on purpose. Oh man, Eric Ivar. That's uh, that's a whole different story. Do you guys know the hot dog story with Alberto Calypso? No, but I remember him. I remember him starting at third base for a while with us. Yeah, go and Google the uh, the hot dog story. That, is it worse uh, than the chicken is, wing is story? Huh? Is it worse than the chicken wing story? I don't know if I know the chicken wing story. Where, Does it involve Eric Ibar? Yes, eating chicken wings, choked on a chicken bone, and had to go to the hospital. He swallowed a chicken bone. He swallowed a chicken bone, huh? Got lodged yeah, in his no. throat. Um, this involves uh, him and uh, Kaiaspo in the minor leagues, and uh, they uh, uh, they shared some hot dogs um, in a nude, strange, bizarre sort of fashion. <laughs> okay. Now, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much I don't know how much <laughs> detail I can go into on this podcast. It's a family that's, show. That's that's totally your call. I can tell the entire story, but. Um, it's it's somewhat X-rated. Just so just so we're we're clear. We'll save that for off air because now you all right. You've you piqued my morbid curiosity. Now we're, yeah, we're look it up. <laughs> we got to we're, we're we're winding. Anybody, <laughs> Go ahead. Anybody Don. who's listening, that's your that's your homework assignment for for this episode. It's to look up the hot dog story. But maybe go into oh, yeah. incognito mode. What? So maybe go into incognito mode on your Google browser. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think it's just more like a, it's from an actual baseball book, like uh, you know, like uh, Ball Four, like one of those sort of things. It was like a minor league pitcher that played with these guys. I think in the Angel system as they were coming up. And I'll tell you some other stories about Eric Ibar off air that I'm not allowed to uh, share without probably being uh, named in a lawsuit. Okay, well that sounds good. I love getting I love getting gossip on guys, but we're running pretty low, so we got a couple things before we let you play the fun segment. We have talked about the big-name prospects, the Austin Rylands, the Pache's, the Tukies, blah, blah, blah. We always like to ask our big prospects, guys, who are your favorite under-the-radar names? Who are those guys that you like in particular that aren't really being discussed? Sure, and that's just like anywhere, anybody, any team. You could say any team, but I, I want at least one from the Braves. You want at least one 
from the Braves. Mm. I feel like I've talked about like all the Braves prospects at like nauseam at this point. But you know what? I'll throw out there uh, a couple guys that I like a lot. One from this recent draft, and then a uh, um, a J uh, two kid from uh, a couple years ago, twenty seventeen. He's actually injured. Uh, had a hammock bone uh, break, which is the in vogue injury in baseball for whatever reason. Um, that's George Valera, who's an outfielder for the uh, Indians, 17-year-old kid. He's actually American. He grew up in New York City, and his father was uh, like hit by a bus. There was some terrible accident. The family moved back to the Dominican Republic, I believe, and... Uh, I think he spent like his last, you know, three, you know, years of his, you know, teenage years there before uh, he signed, and and so he's kind of an interesting kid because you know he speak he's you know bilingual, you know, speaks you know multiple languages, and obviously um, that helps in the minor leagues a lot. But this kid is awesome. That I had him over Wander Franco before Wander Franco went nuts. Like as soon as I put my list out, Wander Franco decided to be like the best hitter in the minor leagues. That wasn't named Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But that's a different story. Valera was a guy that I thought was better. And I had reports from people that were at workouts that said, I think Valera, while it's close, might be a better hitter than Franco. But Franco could be, you know, sick in the dirt, blah, 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 some of those sort of things. I don't think that's the case anymore. I had this guy 60 on my, my top 100. So um, he's somebody that I love. Another guy I want to bring up was a Royals uh, draft pick this year. Um, I think second rounder Kyle Isbell, who came from UNLV, and uh, he's up in full season ball in uh, the Midwest League at this point, and he's he's looked great. He's got some power. Um, his swing from the left side kind of reminds me of Andrew Benintendi, and I, I don't just throw that around. Um, Benintendi is one of my favorite players. I got to watch him a ton as he came up here, uh, you know, to the to the Red Sox. Um, love him coming out of the draft. Love him in Arkansas. So I'm a big Benintendi guy. To say that, especially considering I love his swing. That's that's you know lofty praise. This kid is going to hit for power. He's a good all around ball player. Um, UNLV has a pretty good program, man. They got another kid, Bryson Stott, that's going to be uh, probably a top ten draft pick, shortstop prospect. They got a lot of good looks at uh, in Wareham this year on the Cape before he went to the U.S. Uh, collegiate national team. So, uh, with that said, now I need to think of a Braves player that nobody else is talking about that i like quite a bit well you, you traded gene carlos and Carnacion. thank you so I, my I boy i can't throw him out there uh, is william Contreras? would that be considered an under the is he really under the radar no. i mean you guys have like 40 prospects that aren't like like no william Contreras is, is monster mashing and jason every time jason comes on he gives like an hour-long okay. love fest on william Contreras. <sighs> oh my god um but no, I think, huh. I think that's good, though. I think that, uh, you know, you have a very respectable opinion. You know what I mean? I trust <laughs> pretty much everything you're saying about these guys. And to, to hear you bring up Contreras as well, um, it's inspiring because he was he was very under the radar before the season. He's got the bloodlines well, with his brother playing with for the Cubs. But uh, And you, your lower minors right now is kind of depleted. So it, that's kind of an issue. I mean, we could talk about guys from the draft, but, you know, obviously – we already talked about Grayson. I mean, you know, he would have been the, the go-to guy there. So I think with the Braves now, like with under the radar guys, just because the coverage is is so good, and I feel like, and I mean this, I really do mean this. As a fan base, I feel like Braves fans are more in tune with the entirety of the organization than other fan bases are. They're really plugged into the prospects, and that's not new. That's going back. You know, three, four years when that system 
first popped and you guys started making all these trades and bringing in some prospects, like there was a lot of interest there. And that's where I get a lot of comments from some of the guys that I play in a lot of fantasy leagues with that I'm, I'm really good friends with are all, you know, Braves guys. And I think even for casual Braves fans, they just seem to be a little bit more aware of the minor leagues than other fan bases are, in my opinion. So that's my that's my compliment that I'll throw out there. I'm you. glad you said that. I, and I do. It is always a little stunning to me that that a lot of evaluators, when William, up until like this, really this last two month stretch, uh, a lot yeah. of evaluators were saying William Contreras was was kind of a, a backup type of guy, a good but not great guy. Uh, he's not as good as his brother. While seemingly forgetting that it took his brother six years to get to the minors, that a lot of a lot of people are, are kind of glossing over because of what he is now in the majors. People are forgetting that it took the elder Contreras brother a long time to break in, and, mm. and to to this point in their respective careers, comparatively, William has been the better player of the two. And that's not to say that he's going to be a better major leaguer than his brother, but he's certainly sure. a better catcher. And he's yeah. certainly better fundamentally. And I love William Contreras. I guess I was trying to troll for I'll just ask you straight out. Uh, C.J. Alexander from the draft this year, he's a guy that's getting a ton of plug. A.J. Graffanino as true. well. What do you and think about, about C.J.? I, did, I, I totally slipped my mind. And I've re- I wrote about him on like Sunday, too. I think it was the second time I've written about him. That's Blaze Alexander uh, of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Or, you know, it was a prep kid that ended up getting drafted. It's his older brother. State college. I know Jason got looks at him. Jason lives like right next to where his college is. Was state state college of Florida in Sarasota, and uh, his brother Blaze was at the very world famous IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. I caught Blaze. I didn't catch CJ. I tried to catch CJ because my my mother in law lives in Bradenton. I was down there for Easter with my three kids. My wife gave me the look, man. There was no way I was going to be <laughs> able to actually see CJ Alexander in the flesh. I haven't seen him yet because there aren't any cameras really in the Florida State League. So all I've really seen is tape, and I, I like what I see. Jason seems to have a much better understanding of who Alexander is. I like the numbers. I mean, how could you not, right? Um, but I know he you know, he abused hitters in, in JUCO, and he's continued to do that all the way up to the Florida State League. Um there's not a. It seems like there's raw power there that he could tap into. He hasn't gotten that, but I like the fact that he's making a ton of contact. He's he's having great at bats. He's walking it, like that. All that stuff matters. And you know maybe he was just an unheralded guy that they just plucked. It was a good call by you. I, I totally forgot to to mention C.J. Alexander, but yeah, I'm I'm just I was trying to find like a like a jewel but then you know it's right in front of my nose thanks <laughs> riley delgado man there's your jewel sign for a thousand bucks yeah there you go anyway all right so obviously we're giant braves fans and most of the people we have on the show are either involved with the braves or are braves fans uh or write about the braves so from an outside perspective as somebody who is a red sox guy What's your take on on where the Braves are at and what they actually are? Because we all think it's pretty pretty unanimous. Most people seem to think at this point they've stopped sleeping on the Braves and think that they are an actual playoff contender, or at least a contender to get to the playoffs. What do you think that that the Braves are from an outsider? Um, well, I said earlier that I was thinking about actually putting money on the Braves for the World Series at fifteen to one. So I'm a believer. I mean, I think. I think these guys. I think you're building a wagon, dude. I think I think you're building an absolute wagon. I've I've been to Fenway once this year, and it was to see the Braves. So, 
that should that should say it all. I I, I love this team. Uh, you know, I said actually in the preseason, you can go back to the baseball show that I do on fan tracks with with Andy Singleton, and you can you can actually find the tape. I say that I think the Braves are going to finish ahead of the Nationals, and that the Nationals are going to have a down year, may not make the playoffs. And I call that man. I love Atlanta. They're in first place right now, two and a half games ahead of Philadelphia, and those are good ball clubs. Philadelphia is a good ball club. Washington's a good ball club. I guess you know the Cubs have playoff experience but you know who knows with their pitching staff i still want to take atlanta you put them up against milwaukee good team don't have the pitching staff gonna i'm gonna take atlanta i'm, I'm, I'm gonna take atlanta arizona um the dodgers i think that you know those pose threats because of how good arizona's pitching is if the braves made the world series would it really be that shocking i mean it, it's not. It's, it's not a, like a, it's not a huge long shot at this point any longer either. Like I said, fifteen to one. So, whew, I think they're a contender. I think they're a contender right now, and I, I think you know. I hope that next year isn't a struggle to get back to where they were because it always is. The second year is always a struggle, and not not to toot my own horn here, but I've watched a lot of championship teams over the last couple of decades in Boston and. It's the follow-up. It's the next year. It's it's that hunger for more. The good thing they have going for them is they have reinforcements. They got young kids. Young kids are hungry to prove themselves, win positions, and there's so much depth within the organization, especially within the pitching ranks. So there's there's constant competition for opportunities at the major league level, and they've set themselves up from a real world perspective as good, if not better, than anybody. And if three of these guys turn out to be aces, you know, legitimate all-star level pitchers you know five war guys Whew. it's gonna it, no one's gonna beat the braves because they're gonna have two of the best position players as well all this athleticism pat shea coming up i mean come on and, and and that's gonna free up money because of all these controlled guys for them to go out and spend money this offseason in the biggest free agency offseason ever they might be able to sit there beneath the giants and take the crumbs all the good players that fall through the cracks when these big teams are signing, you know, Harper and, and the other big names and throwing these massive contracts at them, maybe they can get a good deal. The Red Sox did it this year with J.D. Martinez, and it's made all the difference. They might be able to get a good deal on something that they need because everybody else is spending the bucks everywhere else. So I think the I think the Braves are set up better than anybody, man. I, I love this build. Um, credit goes to all, all those that have been involved, and I think that, uh, you know, Double A's taking it sort of to an, another level this year. So... Yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm not even blowing smoke. I'm I, I love the Braves right now. You know, my second team is probably the Dodgers. My my grandmother's from Brooklyn, so I'm kind of a fringe Dodgers fan. My kids go to bed late, so I catch full Dodgers games and our Red Sox games. But yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I I watched a lot of Braves games this year, man. At least forty or fifty. <laughs> it, it's hard to like the Dodgers. I don't like the buying the team mentality. So it's hard um, for me personally to but, enjoy the Dodgers. They've got a lot of young, controllable guys, but then they'll just be that team that's like, oh, hey, yeah, I'll throw $300 million at this random person, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I get like Who who have they signed to, to these massive deals and brought there? Like, a lot of it is really, I mean, a lot of it's been trades. They're just great in terms of scouting and development. I mean, the thing about the Dodgers is, is, is it's, you know, the way Houston operates – and the Yankees, they just spend more money on scouting than anybody else. They're better scouts. So they get better players. They have depth within their system. 
And they're able to then take those guys, the money they can get in the international market, the illegal relationships. I'm sure they have with trainers. And uh, then they, they go and they, they exploit that. I don't think it's any different than what the Braves have right now. Braves can do the same thing. Well, there's you know? a, I like that shade it's right amazing. there. It's amazing. They're, be- <laughs> not, they're, not, they're not the Red Sox. The Red Sox have throw, been throwing money at everything. I mean, That's it's worked, how they operate. It's sure. worked out. I mean, you were able to give up Yoan Moncada and Michael Kopak along with Luis Alexander Basabe. And uh, who was the fourth player in that deal for, for Chris? I think Sam? it was just three. Was it just three? Okay. Yep. And just worked, three. For how, however weirdly, it's actually worked out for both teams. Um, yes. But you've got one of the best pitchers in the game. J.D. Martinez has become the preeminent slugger in the majors. So uh, Mookie, Mookie Betts has become the number two player in the league. And I only say number two because Mike Trout is the greatest player ever. Uh, and he will go yeah. down that way as long as he stays relatively healthy throughout the rest of his career. At this point, he's already – And Mookie's better, and Mookie's better in the field. Maybe. Um, yes, he is. Maybe. Uh, I'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one. I, <laughs> I happen to think Mike Trout is actually a robot that was programmed to destroy baseball's record books. Uh, but because you've been so nice, we're going to get to the fun segment, the segment that all of you who are still listening to, they've been waiting for. You know it, you love it. It's called Extra Innings. And with that, my illustrious partner who does all the brain work of the show while I just do the, the talking portion, Doc it's your time to shine. Appreciate it. Uh, okay, Ralph. So we got we got four questions for you um, that are non baseball related. Um, and the first one I'm going to tee up for you is: uh, What is the worst classic rock song ever made? Ooh, oh man! You got um, a lot of different ones to choose from. Yeah, there's a lot of good. Like, there's a lot of a lot of good ones that are bad. Um, Oh man, um, I'm trying to think of songs that I really, really, really hate. Oh, God, um, oh man, I'm um, I'm um, I'm trying to think. I almost want to look at like a list of like classic rock songs. So I can <laughs> be like, oh yeah, it's that one. Um, give me a couple of bands. Give me a couple of bands to get my mind going. I'm like, I'm because I'm. I don't want to say a Led Zeppelin song, even though I really hate. Uh, Viking song is that the one, right? North? Oh, immigrant immigrant song. Immigrant song. I hate that song. But <laughs> oh no no, uh, I I found it. Figured it out. Whole lot of love that I found. It's just hokey. It's corny. It's cheesy. <laughs> uh, I remember, like in college, I had this girlfriend, this 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 Polish girl, and and she loved it. She loved to dance to that song, and it was just awful. It was like torture. Even though even she's beautiful and you know whatever. It was a. It was just. I hate that song. I really hate that song. You know, it's weird. <laughs> I don't really like Led Zeppelin all that much. Neither I, do I. Strange. Like it's not that I dislike heavy metal or anything like that. Classic rock at all. It just. I'm not really into Led Zeppelin. I, I don't like. I don't like uh, Robert Plant's voice. Thank you. I'm not alone. I actually like. There's. I could name more. I could name on one hand the number of Zeppelin songs I actually do like. Uh, and yeah. really, it's like yeah. two songs that I can stand. I hate his voice. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same here. Yeah, and Jimmy Page is great too. That's what sucks, you know. Like I don't think the music is bad, but you know, eh, yeah, it stinks. Anyway, move on. Next one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, what is a movie that you could watch a hundred times and never get sick of? A movie I could watch a hundred times and never get sick of. I'll watch Shawshank Redemption like anytime it's on, which but I think that's such like a cliche answer, right? Like every, everybody, everybody says that. Everybody always says Shawshank Redemption. So I'm going to go with a stupid movie 
that I think I watched about 3,000 times in my, my dorm room and in my apartment and then like my friends' houses. And that's How High with Method Man and Red Man. For some reason, I love that movie and 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 the bad jokes. And I think it's just because I'm such a fan of, of Redman that to see him in a movie was was kind of funny. So uh, I could watch How High a bunch of times, and it's like my favorite bad movie too. I know it's bad, but uh, shout out to Danny DeVito for producing that. Thanks for making that movie happen. It was a big part of my college years. <laughs> No, awesome. I for some reason when you were giving the lead in, I thought you were going to say half baked, and and so that's that's kind of in the same vein, I suppose. It's it's a bad version of half baked, is what it is. It's like the hood. You know how like there was a point in the '90s because it was like the bling era, and everyone made like a movie to go with their album. It's like when Jay Z made In My Lifetime like as a movie, and it was just the worst acting you've ever seen. You know that there was like one scene where they were like, were like yeah, they're like all in like a hotel room with like the days in. And there was like some some bad some bad actor who was playing a thug, and he's like, yeah, 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 we're gonna meet, we're gonna meet Jay Z, gonna come making the drop, and uh, like this other guy in the room is like, you talk about that rapper Jay Z? Oh man, ain't no rapper gonna come. And it was so bad. It was just like, oh man, this is the worst acting I've ever seen. I remember watching it with like a a girlfriend and and a, a couple of friends, and we were just like dogging on it the whole time. And it was it's kind of like that, like Fifty so, Cent's Blood on the Sand. I haven't seen that. I just, I got really into like the the game dash after he like left Rockefeller. He decided to do a bunch of documentaries on like hood legends on like actual like drug dealers from like Harlem and like Queens and 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 the whole nine from like the the nineteen eighties. And uh, I get really into those. So those are like the hood movies. I would go to like the local like it's called Skippy White's here in like Boston and like Rhode Island. I go there and be like, yo, you got the new Dame Dash movie? And this guy had like a a white guy in a suit comes in with his like hair parted, you know. Like, hey, can I get the new Dame Dash movie? That's me. That's who I was. Actually, I think that was Blood in the Snow, not Blood in the Street, so I'm probably wrong there. I just remember he made a video game as well. 50 took over the world there. 50 50 took over the world there for a minute. Yeah, and somehow he lost it all. Damn it, 50. What are you doing, man? (laughs) Ugh. Now, he tried tried to go uh, go the full-on acting route now. I think that he just goes by Curtis. He goes by Curtis. Yeah, I don't even think he's 50 anymore. But, uh, but all right, so I actually, Shawshank Redemption uh, would have been on, on that list for me as well, but that's just because they used to play it on AMC, like, all of the time. But Departed, yeah. for the same reason, uh, it replaced Shawshank Redemption in, in, that, in that rotation. Can I tell you something? I, I don't like that movie. But that's crazy. A, a Boston guy yeah, doesn't I'm, like The Departed? I'm very, I'm very, I'm very iffy on it. Um, I feel like it was, like, a haphazard way of, like, Telling the Whitey Bulger story, and it could have been better because the Bulger story in its face is interesting. And then they made that stupid, creepy movie with Johnny Depp where he played Whitey Bulger, and it just didn't work. Um, I mean, it's a good movie, dude. It's a good movie. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I don't love it. Like I remember around the same time there was an English gangster movie that came out. I'm just a hipster saying this too, but uh, called Layer Cake that had Daniel Craig, and I thought that was a much better gangster movie than The Departed was. I don't know. I like I don't. I, I liked The Departed, but but I don't know. Maybe maybe I fight the Boston cliche thing. There are a lot of guys in Boston who would like you know strike me dead just for saying that. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, <laughs> how can you how can you not think it's the best movie? That's like Matt Damon's in it. Like Mark Jack Wahlberg, dude. Jack Nicholson. Not only was he like the best Joker, he was also like the like the number one like gangster guy ever. And like look at him in that movie, he's a badass, dude. It's like Whitey. It's like the best version. A whitey bra. So, I don't know. Whatever, dude. You ready for the hottest take of the show? 
Go for it. I don't care for Shawshank Redemption. Okay, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. It's, it's the perfect movie. Uh, I think one time through, it's it's. I watched. It, I was like, all right, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I don't. I have never made it through a second viewing of Shawshank Redemption. Oof. Ever. It's just a, such a beautiful relationship between between uh, you know Andy and, and Morgan Freeman's character, whose name I forget, so I'm just going to call it Morgan Freeman's Red. character. Sure, I so, actually I like uh, I like honest, Green Mile better. Yeah. Oh, it's it's something about that relationship. It, it relates to men as as we 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 get through life in our our later years and we struggle with the prisons in which we built ourselves <laughs> into. Now I'm going to go total hipster. Now the movie okay, that I awesome. I can watch all the time, and it sounds like I'm trying to to put on airs, as they say down here in the South. Uh, mm-hmm. I love Inception. I've watched it probably fifty or sixty times. I just I love the movie, so I don't ever get, I don't ever get tired of watching it. I think like that's one of my favorite concepts. That movie and Interstellar. I have watched Interstellar since it came out probably thirty five times. Wow, yeah, you know, I uh, I didn't make it through either one. I like to say that like I have a low IQ because I just was not into Inception at all. I, I was like, like the stop, idea. stop! I don't want to. I don't <laughs> want to think this much. But I'm also the guy who also said like my favorite movie to watch over and over again is How High. So I don't exactly, <laughs> I, don't, I don't exactly like rate very highly on the uh, intellectual scale in terms of my 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 film consumption here. You know. I stick to prospects. That's what I know. I mean, I could have gone with Ninja Turtles because I have watched the Ninja Turtles movies, the real ones, the live actions. I have watched those okay, movies good. like with 5, like Ninja times. Ninja Go. Yeah, Secret uh, of the Ooze, yeah. man. Nice. I can I throw a fun question out to you guys. Go of course. Yeah. Is that all right? Um, yeah. So, so would you rather listen to Old School Vanilla Ice or Six Nine? No, Old School Who's Vanilla Six Ice. Nine? Old school vanilla ice. That's not a question. We're all going old school vanilla ice. You know who six nine is? I work with a bunch of young guys. Yeah, he's horrible. Takashi. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Fifi. He just know. he just yells. I mean, that's it. He does just yell. It's he just does, hype man. It's yeah, uh, yeah. It's interesting. He's got a, he's got a ton of like colors in his hair and stuff. I don't know skittles. Yeah, his he's got the same like his grill is like the rainbow. I can't yeah. I can't stand him. But he's a but he's a blood, so I don't. I don't want to say anything too bad. I'm going to be in New York this weekend too, so I don't. Uh, I don't want to get. I don't want to catch a strike. Uh, just say that you're a chief, uh, chief Keith guy, and then all of his guys will run to protect you because they all hate six nine. Unfortunately, my wife likes a lot of the uh, the new age mumble rap, so she'll really yes. Unfortunately, so she will listen to that. Uh, she will listen to whoever that dude is that does Gucci Gang. It, I just sounded like a really old man. Uh, I'm 27, and I just said that guy that does Gucci Gang. Um, I still don't know that dude's name. Ah. That is the worst song I have ever heard in my entire life. And every time I hear it, I want to go old man Joe Simpson and, like, put somebody through a wall. If you've ever seen, like, the show F is for Family on netflix if you haven't you need to watch it. it's hilarious bill burr show uh his catchphrase i will put you through that wall it's what i feel every single time i hear that song <laughs> yeah you know i know i know bill burr i'm a big comedy guy and uh from boston obviously so i've seen well, uh, uh, burr a ton. i love i love burr he's he's on uh, with that but you know i don't i don't get it like i guess that's that's how i i finally knew i was old because i just didn't understand it and it I gotta be honest. It kind of started with Little Wayne. I don't like, like him either. 
coming up, like, you know, I, I was very into hip hop. It's what I did throughout college. And, and I was actually in a rap group. And but the guys, the guys that can that I was in the group with continue to do it. And they've been very successful. One is a, a very well-known group in Providence, Rhode Island, by the name of Dirty Dirty. And the other one is the DJ for Jennifer Lopez when she goes on tour. So he's uh, seen the world. He was wow. a DJ. So yeah, kind of cool. Um, yeah, I used to be able to freestyle my butt off. I can't do that any longer. I'm 36 and I'm very much a white dude. But <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I just don't feel like there's anything skill wise to it. And that's my biggest issue with a lot of like this new mumble rap is like when I listen to whoever it is, even if it's somebody from, you know, the South, whether it's Scarface, whether it's UGK. Right. I was listening to UGK on the way home. Um, riding dirty and dirty money and some of those albums and there's something musical about it that there's rhythm you know good drum tracks good bass line and there's melody on top of it but this is just all rhythm right there's like very little melody in those songs at all and then you almost felt like uh, i grew up in a household my father's like a jazz nut so like you almost felt like rappers were like blowing a horn on on the beat right that like they were that like lyrical instrument and it was the way that they fit syllables together inside of bars and were able to hit it on those 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 like punch you in the chest snares now they have a ton of hi-hats the reason they have hi-hats is so these guys can rap off beat slow it down and it's because they don't have the technicality to be able to do what rock him did 20 years ago they don't have the technicality to do what a guy like royce the five nine does now who's out now and is dope i mean he's old but like there's guys like that. There's, you know, Odyssey's another underground rapper that's a producer rapper that's like this. And, and like, I was listening to uh, a Nas song from Godson, the opening song, uh, Get Down. It's on a James Brown beat. And it's on the theme song to Black Caesar, which was like a black exploitation film back from the 70s. And it's about a drug kingpin in, in, in Harlem. And he, he starts the song off. And the way that he hits and the amount of syllables he fits into each bar into each four beats is insane and then on top of it he drops the name of five different famous drug dealers and gangsters throughout like a like a 10-year period in harlem and queens and the bronx you know like he names mickey barnes you know he names you know prince from from queens um you know he talks about pappy mason and and some of these guys that like unless you knew the backstory and the hood the hood legends like you wouldn't know that that's gangster. It's not getting on a record and and just yelling. I'm gonna kill you, bah, I'm gonna kill a, I'm gonna kill a too, ah, king of New York. Like no, back in the day, you used to have to show up to, to the to you know to the, the jam man with some some lyrics. You used to have to battle people, and and I'm sorry, but that stuff doesn't play in battles if you have somebody that has written the way some of these guys used to have back in the day and just freestyle ability. Like I don't know, I just I feel like there's no skill to it any longer. It's just all swag. It's all swagger. It's all look. It's all, you know, oh, look how cool this guy is. Ha ha. I can laugh at this this goofy guy from the ghetto. Like, I think it's more it's Instagram. That it's just Instagram. Than it is like actual appreciation of like skill and musicianship and like technicality. And like, hey, I get it, man. It's fun. Fine. They talk about drugs and drinking and everything else. Cool. It, it doesn't have to have a message. I mean, you could say the most belligerent stuff. If it's dope, I'll, I'm going to bump it, you know? Now, what? How? How are you on like a guy like Cassidy, who is maybe uh, the I, most lyrical ever? But I love Cassidy. As far as yeah, like I mean, his beats are are basic, and and he's to to be into Cassidy, you have to be into the lyrical side of MCing. 
But the stuff that he does with like Static Selector, who makes insane beats. I mean, I guess it depends what kind of beats you like too. But like the stuff that he did in like that um, stick to the script with like terminology. It's Cassidy and I forget who the third guy was, but it's a dope song. It might even Saigon actually. And yeah, I like any of those guys. I, I don't care about that at all. Like if you're, you could talk some drug dealing stuff, whatever. Just bring some skills to it. Just you know, rock rock a beat. Really, like they're just yelling at me and use <laughs> vocal effects and use vocal effects to hide the fact that you can't do what these other guys can do so i just i think i think you know the the whole you know rap screwed up in that sense that nobody nobody brings skill to it any longer unfortunately well, we've kind of hijacked doc's segment here unfortunately we've got <laughs> so long that we're gonna end here pretty soon here in just a second uh one more rap related question is there anybody new out there that you do love whether it be like a kendrick or a j cole or a logic or somebody among that group yeah i i don't like i don't like logic uh a ton um there are some guys. Uh, there's a guy from actually like right down the ro- road for me by the name of uh, Jonah Lucas that I, I, I really dig. Um, he's got a ton of skills. If you look at some of he has a song where he actually like raps the same verse backwards. If you go to some of his YouTube stuff and he does these really intricate um, concept uh, songs, um, a ton of them. So they're all stories. And one of them is um, – I'm not racist. He had that song where it was like two perspectives, a Trump voter versus like a, you know, a young black kid. And, and he just has like all these different things. He's a, a, a keep it a hundred, which is about a hundred dollar bill that gets taken out of an, an ATM and then where it travels throughout a night. And it, it, it tells you like from the, pers- the, like the third eye, like, you know, the third person perspective of like the, the hundred dollar bill that's going all these places. And it's, I love him. I think that, I think that he's awesome. Um, I've been messing with some uh, Denzel Curry, who I don't like everything he does, but he has uh, he has some he has some good he has some good stuff too. He's definitely somebody that uh, that I'm into. Yeah, I mean, there's rappers out there, man. It's just a matter of like who's getting promoted, who's not getting promoted, and I just think there's a certain image right now. And if you don't want to fit into it, then you're just you're you're stuck. You're just kind of stuck in that that underground thing, you know. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's somebody that I definitely think is is dope. It's out now. Meanwhile, Doc goes to fish concerts. I've uh, been I've been to several fish concerts, going dating back to like two thousand two thousand one, um, right when they stopped touring for a while. Uh, I was eighteen nineteen, and then I saw one at Fenway. Um, I got a lot of friends that followed fish. You know, went to fish concerts. My wife went to fish concerts. We didn't like follow around fish. I never like you know spent multiple days in the road but i had some fun at some fish shows they're they're a good time oh absolutely i saw them uh two weekends ago they came to alpharetta and they played three nights and they were uh, it was great it was it was absolutely fantastic uh, nice. my only contribution to the to the hip-hop thing is uh one aesop rock is one of the best lyricists i've ever heard and uh, two i i used to do uh an acoustic cover of rollout by Ludacris. so uh that's dope, dope. Do with do with that what you will. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to picture you rolling out to that song. Yeah, it's um, it was ridiculous. It didn't make any sense. It was like juxtaposition everywhere you <laughs> looked, you know. But um, I, I, uh, that, I met my that, wife. I met my wife at an Aesop Rock show, actually. Oh, did you? Yeah, very. And like Labor Labor Days, Aesop Rock, like right when he came out. I probably he was one of my favorite rappers when I was rapping, like that. That was my dude. I mean, 
just because what he did was so different and so complex. He's actually from Long Island and went to BU up here in Boston. It's kind of so he did a lot of shows with like Mr. Lift and Acrobatic and like uh, those guys when when they were touring um, and just you know back home doing their their Boston shows. So the Boston scene was popping at that point, and a lot of those Deaf Jokes guys were were always around. So particularly Aesop. So I agree, but we're white, so that's why we like Aesop Rock. <laughs> right. Well, and what, what's funny about this particular question is that we started by talking about how high and uh, yep. departed. So and we've been um, down the rabbit I think, hole. I think we might finally be able to move on to uh, to the next question. Um, <laughs> what was your what was your recurring nightmare as a kid, or did you did you have a recurring nightmare? And if so, what was it? Um, yeah. And, uh, for some reason I was, uh, in the middle of a war. I really liked, like, I really liked like history and like World War II and stuff like that. But I was a plastic soldier in a real war and it happened multiple times. What does that mean? Like, that's the kind of dream that I don't, I don't think I've ever really shared that with anybody, but that happened like four or five times and I would just be stuck and I would have this stuck feeling and then I would wake up. So like, it wouldn't happen. Like I would be like a normal soldier, just like, you know, shooting the breeze with 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 my 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 uh, uh, my comrades, and then bam, you know, or maybe not comrades. I wasn't like a Russian soldier, <laughs> it was American, but um, you know, with my brothers, and then all of a sudden, bam, I'm a plastic soldier. They're getting off the beach in Normandy, and I can't move. So I don't know. That's a weird dream, isn't it? I bet you didn't expect that for a child. That is a little odd. That is weird. Was, I'm a weird person. Yeah. <laughs> I had this, uh, I'm, I'm very claustrophobic. I used to have this dream that I would like um, be trapped in a dresser drawer when I was like very tiny, you know? I don't know if I was claustrophobic because of that or if I was already claustrophobic and that's why I was dreaming that. But I, I had another dream where I was like standing on top of this giant pillow fort fighting off of these, uh, these monsters and everything. And then when I was about 29, I saw the end of Killer Clowns, uh, not Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Maybe it was Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And it was basically just a recreation. My dream was like, I, I was dreaming the end of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Um, so wow. that, was, that wasn't just my imagination. I just, you know, brain went into a pretty messed up place. Wow. That's good. Dylan, anything recurring? See, I'm lame. I don't really, I don't remember dreams very much. Like, I either don't dream because uh, when I go to sleep, I am a dead man. Like, I don't move or <laughs> do anything. Like, if, and this is a bad thing to say if anybody's this type of person, but if you ever wanted to, like, punch me in the face and then get out quick, when I'm sleeping, I won't even get up. Like my wife has punched me before while I sleep because she says I snore too loud or she'll smack me in the face or whatever. Uh, she'll throw bows cause I won't do anything cause head hits the pillow. I'm gone. Uh, I am in a different dimension. So unfortunately on this topic, I don't have anything recurring. I've probably had some weird dreams before, but I'm a weird guy. I don't remember them. There you go. It sucks. I want to contribute. Uh, we will uh, we will ask that one again in a couple weeks, and maybe you something will jog. I just need to take like a hit of acid so I can like use my trip <laughs> as like a nightmare, but I don't want it yeah. to actually be bad. Sure. If you take acid, you're not going to sleep. You're not <laughs> going to dream about anything. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, all right. So th- this is the this is the final question, and we have had a couple of different. Uh, we for a while we were asking whether or not Boondock Saints was a good movie. That was a recurring question. Uh, then we asked no. people to to tell. 
Oh my God! Thank you. It's terrible, right? Doesn't it's count. Awful. Doesn't it's count. So bad. You're wrong. We had that one was Dude, like a seven I, to one. You know how you know how many times I had to be subjected to that movie and not say anything. I a thought lot. like in the comfort of people not from Boston, I would be able to be like, "How bad is that movie?" Right? Give me a number two. Imagine how bad that is. Oh my God! I. I <laughs> <laughs> dude let me tell you we probably asked that question seven or eight times um you were the only the second person who said that that it was bad i i was very it's much awful. In it's very bad it's very very poorly made it's a it's a it's a 30 grade movie it's a fun I wouldn't movie give many 30s i wouldn't give many movie. 30s it's it's a bad it's a bad movie it is Oh man! Well, shit! I, I was gonna try and move on to to the next recurring question, but I almost feel like that's a that's a really good spot to end. Oh, I, I wanted funny. to know what it was. All right, uh, we we did whether or not Boondock Saints is a good movie. Then it was uh, tell an embarrassing childhood story, and now you're the first person to get the new recurring question. Uh, what is the most bizarre experience you've ever had on an airplane? Ah, uh, oh, I was flying back from. Arizona and uh, I was with my family I was like 17 years old and uh, I got the outside seat to the aisle seat but the middle seat was like this giant fat dude that was like Andre the Giant like he was like six foot eight and he must have weighed like I don't know three bills plus and he fell asleep and it was a loud like I had headphones in I was like bumping Wu-Tang and like i couldn't i couldn't hear the music because he was snoring so loud and he was drooling um <laughs> and then at one at one point his head fell onto my shoulder and i had to like try to wake him up and that must have been, he must have been i actually i'm starting to think it might have been you that was on the plane next to me i don't know if you're a big guy or not but um yeah like it was like he was dead but alive and unfortunately making very loud noise like it was so obvious like everybody from the plane was like making like a gestures and joking around about it like i must have been patted on the shoulder at least like a half dozen times within the first hour of the flight you know and and that's like a four-hour flight back to boston my family had a good a good laugh at that one you know um because the way the way there I got to sit next to a really attractive girl that was my age, uh, and we talked for a really long time. And I got her number, so maybe I was maybe it was just I was paying I was paying the price for having had a really <laughs> good experience on the way to Arizona. So this way back, I had I had a fat guy with uh, his legs were like super super wide stance too, like a a very wide stance. And he had on like those white Reebok basketball sneakers that like every team randomly gave you in the 1980s if you didn't have a sneaker deal. So like I would call him. Like I, maybe the Robert Parrish specials only his were black, but they were like the white, like high high top high top. Like if you had like generic high top sneaker um, from the 1980s, these were those, and he was wearing. I'm sure because of all the support they gave his, his giant feet with bunions. But that's another story for another time. <laughs> about you, Doc? That is. Oh, geez. Um, my wife and I were flying back from Columbus, Ohio, uh, for. Uh, we visited her family. This was a couple days before Christmas, and there was inclement weather. Um, so our flight got delayed a couple hours. And and then by the time we finally got on the plane, everybody had boarded. And then they decided that they were going to uh, delay the flight a little bit longer. And there was a girl that was like a couple of rows in front of us that was having like a legit panic attack. And I'm like, ooh. And I felt, I feel, felt bad, but it was like she had taken – 
taken some type of anti-anxiety pills, but she had also oh. like drank a ton, and she, was, and she was making a scene. You know, and I, like, and I was I was pretty upset like before we got on the plane because everything was delayed, and I just wanted to go home. And then this starts happening, and I'm like, I'm not even dealing with the same type of problems that this girl is dealing with up here. So eventually her and her, her boyfriend the whole time is just like, you got to calm down. You got to calm down. And in that situation, that's really the worst thing that he should have been saying to her. So, um, but eventually we all made it home. And, uh, you know, I think that she, uh, she drank some more and fell asleep. So <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. So, um, Dylan, we will send it over to you. Uh, your awkward airplane story will be the, uh, the last one for, uh, for this episode. Then we'll finally let Ralph go after about two hours. Uh, I don't have anything like bad. I haven't been on a ton of airplanes in my day. I don't. Uh, I I have this thing where I absolutely hate lines for anything. So like the airplane, like flying is an ordeal. Like being in the plane, I I'm fine with there, but getting to the plane is a nightmare. I did have one though. Uh, I was going to. I was coming back from Orlando, and it was just bizarre because it was kind of weird. And more annoying than it should have been. So it's only like a 40-minute flight. And, it, you know, you're just thinking, all right, cool. Check and see if everybody wants water like a steward, like the, the flight attendant's supposed to do or all that stuff. Cool. Yeah, okay. Um, unfortunately, when she delivers me my drink, she just stands there next to me. For, like, the rest of the flight home, there's still, like, 30 minutes left on this flight. And this flight attendant is just standing there next to me. She's not sitting down until it's time for everybody to sit down. She is literally standing right next to me for 30 minutes. I'm trying to read a book or take a nap or something, and I've got this person just standing there. And she probably wasn't even staring, but it was just so weird that you feel like somebody's just... You know what it feels like when you feel somebody's just staring at you the whole time and everybody starts looking? And I didn't didn't know how to react in the situation. I didn't want to be that guy that just says, hey... Uh, can you go away? I didn't want to be that dude. And I just kept thinking, ah, she'll go eventually. And she didn't. So it was probably the most awkward encounter until we finally get to where she has to sit down. And then uh, nothing was ever said. We didn't speak. Nothing. So very odd and very, very awkward. Ooh, that's strange. Yeah, just kind of lurking above you like that. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know if she had like... I don't know if she had taken something and it had just kind of hit because uh, she was not there. She was like not not staring at me, just staring at like nothing, just kind of zoned. So uh, not, not not sure what the deal was, but, uh, you know, that, it's, it's not as good as y'all stories. But that that's just one of the weirdest encounters I've had with, with somebody. <laughs> that's strange. Now that we've ended on the flat note, as I always do bring to the show uh we have been going on for quite a while so all of you that made it through to the end of this episode thank you so very much uh, once again we got to thank ralph for coming on with us we know uh our shows tend to run long hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and if you need to bump up your follower or to uh bump up your following count and you want to add some good people make sure you're following at prospect jesus and you take his advice on everything you listen to everything he says, and you'll be able to sound reasonably intelligent when you try to secondhand it, play the telephone game with your friends. You'll be the smart guy. 
Just yeah. like, <laughs> just like you should always be listening exactly. to us. Follow our show. Subscribe to us everywhere. You know we're on the Podbean app. You know you can find us now. You can find us on the Armchair All Americans webpage. Uh, all that is is up and running now. Uh, make sure you're following us on iTunes and everywhere else. Tune in everywhere else that you can think of. I've said everywhere else probably five times, which means I'm rambling. So everybody out there, thank you so much. We will catch you again next week, right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.